blessed, amen? And we're blessed with fathers. Happy Father's Day. I feel like we just celebrated Mother's Day. That just, like that just happened, right? Here we are again. But don't you get the feeling that, that you get the feeling sometimes that Father's Day is not, you know, it doesn't pack the same punch that Mother's Day does <laughs> sometimes, you know? And actually, the National Retail Foundation has actually proved that this is true. Last year in 2022, okay, they, they, they estimated that $20 billion was spent on Father's Day in 2022. Guess how much was spent on Mother's Day? $31.7 billion. So there you go. That's okay. Yeah, all the ladies deserve it. Let's just spoil them, amen? That's, that's part of what fathers do anyways. We like to spoil our wives, right? It's all good. It's all good. I did say on Mother's Day that we're blessed in this assembly to have such wonderful mothers represented in this church. And the same can be said about the fathers. Amen? I've been blessed with the mentorship, the direction, the protection, the love that the fathers here have given me. And I know a lot of you can say the same thing. Amen? I just think about all the wonderful pastors we've had here in the past. Pastor Morris, obviously my grandfather as well too. Pastor Gordon Parks. Uh, all wonderful men that have ministered to me and mentored me, and just I'm, I'm just so blessed that they were in my life. Amen? You know, if you're a man that's after God's heart, that is continuing a mission to know him, then you know how important the role of a father is, don't you? It's a very important role. How many people know that there's a big difference between, though, fatherhood and being a dad? Very, very big difference. It doesn't take that much effort to become a biological father. Kind of an awkward thing to say, isn't it? But it's true, it doesn't take that much effort for us to become, to become biological fathers. But it's a much, much, much more difficult task to be a dad. Being a dad is a 24-7 challenge. I speak from experience, right? It's got heavy responsibilities. And you know what? There's actually not a measure of uh, research in the world that doesn't support the fact that children are better off in every single measure when a father is present in the family situation. Being a father is important. And while being a, a dad is, is difficult, it's one of the most rewarding things that you could ever do. It's, it's sacrificial. It's identity affirming. It's one of the most important roles you can take on as a man, right? It's the best role you could take on yourself. Unfortunately, a lot of what we see today was never the ideal model of God's design for family. But it's a reality in our fallen world, and probably the most influential societal ill that has, has wrecked havoc on our culture is the absence of fathers, of real fathers, men who shrink away from the most important role that they can play in their life. And it's an ongoing issue. It really is. But I know one thing, but God. Always but God, no matter what, but God. And, you know, if you've never experienced the love of a natural father, you can have the experience of a heavenly father who loves recklessly. And you know what? Jesus himself modeled for us what it is to be like, what it is to be a dad. I know that sounds kind of funny because Jesus himself didn't have any biological, physical children. But since the whole role of family originated in the mind of God and he chose to represent himself as our heavenly father, he also gives us a design, right? Jesus explains that he is the perfect reflection of, of the Heavenly Father, right? So men as dads, we can actually look to Jesus. We can look to Jesus, not only as the author and finisher of our faith, but also as an example 
and teacher showing us how to be a good father. Isn't that wonderful? What I find particularly interesting, too, is that, you know, that yes, we have dual roles. I'm an earthly father, a physical father, but I'm also a spiritual child, right? And as children, we have complete access to our father. You think about that. It's, it's really amazing. It actually, it says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is the perfect illustration of a father-son relationship. Have you ever wondered why we have access to the throne room? Because our father has allowed it. Right? Because we are his children adopted into sonship. We have legal right now to the throne of grace. Why can we enter boldly? Well, when you have children, they know how to ask for things boldly. You know it. If you're a parent, you know it, right? I, it, seven, it starts at 7 a.m. in the morning, if I'm lucky, usually 6, sometimes 5.30. But at that time, the requests start coming. It's like a faucet of requests coming. They ask boldly, continually. If I had a loony for every request that I faced in a day, I would be a millionaire. In one day, probably. <laughs> Children who know their parents are not shy to ask their fathers for something that they need. Did you know that? You know that. That's why this is an important role for us. We can ask our father for whatever we need, whatever we want. We can approach the, the throne boldly and make our requests known. Isn't that wonderful? And if you don't have a natural father, you know, if you haven't had a natural father lavish his grace and mercy on you, you have a heavenly father. You have a heavenly father who can and will flow grace and mercy over you, right? And even in your greatest time in need. Your Heavenly Father wants you to come into His arms as His child to receive peace, to receive guidance. Why is that? Because He is a good, good Father. Now, the Bible also gives us another example of a father full of grace, and it's the story of the prodigal son. Everybody knows this, this story, right? There are a lot of Bible stories that a lot of people don't know about these days. Uh, you got to get into your Bible to know the Bible, <laughs> right? But this is one of the stories that most people know, even in a secular sense. They understand the term the prodigal son because this is an incredible parable that Jesus gave us, right? So there are a lot of, uh, the story has many components and a lot to unpack, even for biblical experts and theologians. Uh, but the story is for us, and the main point is simple. It's in Luke 15 and 11. It's this, a father has two sons. His younger son demands to receive his inheritance. And after his, his father gives him his portion, the son leaves. He squanders his inheritance, loses everything, and later returns in desperation looking for forgiveness. And the father, with joy, what does he do? He embraces the wayward son and celebrates his return. Beautiful story. First, a little bit of background information. It was a custom thing among uh, Israelite people for a father to divide up his possessions between uh, his sons as their inheritance. According to Deuteronomy 21.17, the oldest son received a double portion compared to the other sons. So the younger son didn't receive as much as the oldest son was going to receive because it was the older son that was going to receive the most out of the inheritance. So, you know, as we study, uh, we look at this, this parable this morning, I want you to be engaged a little bit. Is that okay? Can you do that with me? It's going to be a little bit different this morning. I want a little bit more engagement, all right? While we're going through this, I want you to think about who you are in this story. 
okay, as we go through it. Think about who you are because there's a lot that we can relate to here. So in Luke 15, the younger son knows that he has a portion of his father's possessions coming to him as his inheritance. And it's only going to be half as much as his older brother is going to get. But it's his inheritance nonetheless, and he wants it. Like every child that, that has candy in front of them, they, he wants it, and he wants it now. Right? He doesn't want to wait. He wants it now. Right? He's had enough of this domestic life of having to do chores every day, having to follow dad's rules. He doesn't want to do that anymore. He's ready to hit the road and live large. That's what he wants. The prodigal son doesn't just leave home either. He gets as far away from home as he possibly can. It seems like he wants to completely distance himself from his home and his family. This is a son who is obviously very disrespectful towards his father, right? He's completely self-absorbed, thinking only about himself, right? He is unappreciative of everything that this father has actually done for him. That's who this prodigal son is. So he leaves, and the text says that he squandered his wealth. He squandered it. He's clearly the picture of irresponsibility, right? He has no appreciation for the value of wealth. Why? Doesn't he have any appreciation for it? Because he has never worked for it. He never worked for it. He doesn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. It wasn't his to begin with. He probably has never even considered the possibility even that, that his money might run out, right? He just spends, spends, and spends, and spends until it's all gone. He's very popular when he's spending the money and very unpopular when it's all gone. Same is true for, for this world now, too. You can have a lot of good friends when you're up on, you know, on the up and up. But when you're down the gutters, a lot of people leave you. They leave you there in the gutter, right? And the father's other son, the older one, becomes frustrated with how this unfolded because throughout his entire life, you know, he remained obedient. He worked hard for his father and never left him. But his brother was out sinning and bringing disgrace to his family. So how does this relate to us? It's a story that points straight to grace and the love of our Father. It gives us a picture of God's own saving work in each and every one of us, right? We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it, right? But the Father gives it to us lavishly anyways. He just does. What's interesting, I, I always found so interesting about the story too, is that, you know, what, what does prodigal mean anyways? What does prodigal mean? One definition is, is spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. Okay, that, that you, you can relate to that with the son and what he did. But prodigal also means having or giving something on a lavish scale. So what I find interesting here is that, yes, we have a prodigal son who does, lives extravagantly and, and wastefully, but we also have a father who loves prodigally as well, too, who gives something out on a lavish scale. He gives out his love on a lavish scale. Isn't that wonderful? So first of all, what's your impression, though, of the father? Let's hear, how do you feel about the father here, how he just gives out lavishly without regard, like he just kind of accepts his son back, even though he's done such foolish things? How does, how does that make you feel when you think about that? He's generous. Yeah, he's very generous. I would, venture to say that, I would venture to say that he was a good father for most of their lives. Would you not say that? It doesn't say that in the scripture, but I would, I would, I would guess that he was a very good and attentive father all the time. And he seems to be compassionate and loving towards his children. He was a good provider for his family, which is something a father is supposed to do, be a good provider for their children, right? And from what we read, he certainly does not deserve the lack of respect and the lack of appreciation either. 
uh, shown by his youngest son. You know, he's basically saying, look here, old man, I want my money and I want it now and I'm out of here. That's basically what he's saying to his dad. So ask yourself these questions. Why do you think the father just gave in to his son's demands? Why do you think he did that? If you were the, the father in this story, would you have handled this situation any differently? I know, I think I probably would have if I saw one of my children do that. I don't think I would be as, as happy to receive my, my son back. Maybe I would be, I don't know. But I, it's, it's, it's like an extreme prodigal love that he's showing, right? What do you think was going through the father's mind as he watched his son take down the road? I've got to say that if you were the father here, it's kind of a heartbreaking situation, isn't it? Yeah, you've raised your son to be hardworking. You've raised him to be responsible. You've loved him and provided for him and taken care of his every need. And now not only does he spit in your face and demand his inheritance, he also wants to get as far away from home as possible, right? So as a father, not only is your heart breaking for your son's you know, defiance and lack of appreciation, right, you also know that he's also making a bad decision on top of it all, right? You know that he's headed into trouble, and you know that he will end up wasting his life, his money, and maybe he will get himself into deep trouble in the process as well, too. And there might not be a way of getting out of it. So seeing your son walking down that road, that would have been a very difficult moment for the father. But what can you do? He won't listen to you. You can't make him see the things from a realistic perspective. He's made up his mind and nothing's going to change it. Here's the one thing that absolutely frightens me as a father. There comes a time in every parent's life where you have to let go. Right? You have to let go. Right? You never stop being a parent, but at some point, you have to let go. And as Christian parents, our job is to teach and train our children as they grow up. Maybe you've seen this recently. I've seen this uh, on social media. It's a, it's a small clip that has been taken out of a large seminar. Uh, it's this doctor named Dr. Russell Barkley, who is uh, uh, he's a psychologist, and he studies primarily uh, behavior and ADHD in particular. And uh, he brings up the whole idea that as parents, you're more of a shepherd than you are an engineer. And he says that the one thing that he sees so often these days is parents coming to him, they're feeling so guilty because that they, they think that they have failed because of the behavior of their children. And he says that one thing that we've discovered in our research is this, is that there are over 400 psychological traits that have nothing to do with you as a parent that emerge in your child as they grow up. Nothing. You can't engineer personalities. You can't engineer IQ. You can't even engineer academic achievement. You can't do it. You can't engineer it. But what you can do is you can shepherd the child, given those characteristics. You shepherd them in the ways that they should grow up and live. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects their children from harm. A shepherd, uh, you know, you pick the pasture that a, a shepherd lets his, his sheep be raised in. But you shepherd them. You can't engineer a sheep into a goat. Right? You can't engineer a sheep into a dog. A sheep is a sheep, and that's who they are, and you're just in charge of shepherding them. And I like that. I think that's a very good understanding of what we are as parents. So what do we do as Christian shepherds? We can certainly take the example of the great shepherd, can't we? Right? We can teach our children right from wrong, for one. Right? We have uh, access to the truth. Amen? We have access to the real truth. Amen? So we can teach them right from wrong. We can give them a sense of morality that is not being preached anywhere or taught anywhere else, right? We can teach them to, to love and honor and respect God and his word. And we can do that to prepare them for the day 
when they step out from under the umbrella of our care and step into the world as responsible adults. And when that day comes, you know, when we have to let them go, we no longer control their decisions, but we know that we've given them something that they can cling on to. Amen? And that's where we find the father and his son in Luke 15. We don't know how long the prodigal son was gone. It's probably quite a, quite a long time. And back home, his father was experiencing the heartache and, and all the grieving that any parent experiences when a child turns away from home. Do you think that the father expected to see his son again? Probably not. When he was going down that road, he might, might have thought, I'm never going to see my son again. Right? I don't know, but I'm sure the thought crossed his mind that, in fact, you know, the father himself states it, that it was as if his son was dead. Right? That's how deep his pain was. That's how real his sense of loss was. He waited. He watched. He hoped. He never, quit, he, he never you know, quit hoping that his son would be okay. Right? And one day while he was looking down the road, as he had done probably every day since his son left, as he started off into the, stared off into the distance, he was hoping that today would be the day that I see my son again. Right? Until one day he saw a figure appear on the horizon. Right? Could that be his son? Could this be the day that he'd been hoping for and praying for all this time? He watched with eager anticipation. His heart began to beat faster as the figure drew closer. And the anticipation was almost too much to bear. And the figure got just close enough that he recognized, it's him, it's my son, he's coming back. And what did he do? He ran after him. Which, by the way, was something in those days that you wouldn't do as a respected father. You wouldn't run recklessly towards your son like that. There, you know, it, it shows everybody else that's with you that, that, you know, that you're, you're not somebody that's respectful. But he didn't care. He ran recklessly towards his son. It's him. He's come home. I can't even begin to imagine all the emotions you know, that were about to explode inside this father as he began running down the road to welcome his lost son. But wait a minute, let's stop and think about this for a second. The last time the father saw his youngest son, the son's attitude was one of defiance and it was one of rebellion, right? Now seeing his son from a distance, the father has no idea, right, what the boy is, you know, why the boy is coming home. You know, for all he knows, the son is still defiant. He's still... He's still, you know, unappreciative. Maybe he's coming back to ask for even more money, right? The father, however, didn't want, he didn't want, he didn't even wait to find out. He didn't even, he didn't even address those questions in his mind. He was so overwhelmed with love for his son, his son, nothing else mattered at all, right? Nothing else mattered. He ran to meet his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him, right? And the son, in the process, we read before this, that the son had been rehearsing the speech that he was going to give to his father, but having sinned against his dad and even against heaven about not being worthy even to be called his son anymore, right? Uh, he just wanted to be, come back and be a servant, right? He had worked out really hard on this speech. He had thought about it a lot, right? And uh, he diligently recited this to his father. But I, uh, I, have a, I have a feeling that the father didn't even hear it. He wasn't even paying attention, right? He was too busy laughing and crying and hugging and kissing. Notice in verse 22, he doesn't even respond to the son's speech. Instead, he immediately tells his servants, prepare a feast, prepare the celebration, he's returned. That brings us to another question. Do you think it was appropriate for the father to throw a party <laughs> to celebrate his son's return, or do you think he should have punished him, you know, for his defiance? I once read that the story should never have been called the parable of the prodigal son. It shouldn't have been called that. It should have been, because basically, the son's not the hero in the story, is he? 
right? It should have been called, you know, the parable of the loving father. I like that too. I think that's really good because it speaks more to a father's love, you know, than a son's sin, right? And that is what the parable teaches us about God. It tells us of God's love and his amazing capacity for forgiveness in the face of our most ridiculous, idiotic, dumb sins that we commit, right? It speaks of his love for us regardless of that. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus has given us a, a breathtaking picture of the nature of God's love for us despite our, our, our willful rebellion. Our Father stands ready and willing to take us into his arms again and accept us as his children. If you ever think uh, you've you know, ventured too far away this morning, if you think that you've, you're, you're not accepted, you know, I have a, a wonderful, beautiful message for you today, right? He's calling us home again. He is calling us home. He's calling you home again. Calling you home to enjoy his fellowship. Calling you home to be a part of his family. And so that we can worship him as king and lord again. He proved his love through the sacrifice of his only son, right? And we prove our love by returning to his arms and obeying his commands. That's how we show our love in return. And he's calling us home again to that. Amen? The prodigal son is a story about each of us and our, our struggle with sin. We're all in need of the Father's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Every single one of us. There's not an exception. What I love about this story, especially when considering it's Father's Day as well too, by the way, is that you will always find a reflection of yourself in this parable. Right? Every time you read it, you come to understand in a fresh and new way what God does to find you. Right? He comes to find you where you are, not where you're going to be, where you actually are right now. And his celebration to bring you back to him. We're all called to exercise prodigal love. Father level love in everyday life. Why is that? Because he loved us even when we were still sinners. He loved us even when we were still sinners. When we fall astray, he welcomes us back with open arms. He consistently models for us what it means to chase after the one. Be it in, like in the other perils, but be it the lost coin, be it the, the one lost lamb, be it the one lost child. You are important and worthy of his love. You know, today we can celebrate not only our, our natural fathers, but also our heavenly father as well too. Amen? Yeah. Who is a father to the fatherless, who even right now wants to share his love for you. And he wants to do it in a lavish and extravagant, prodigal way. Do not leave here today without experiencing this love. Please don't do that. Don't leave here. If you, if you need a touch of his love, don't leave here without experiencing that love. Without returning back to, to our, our Father. The Father wanting and waiting for you with open arms. We don't need reasoning. We don't need excuses. All you need is to return and he will take you back. He will restore you back. Amen? doesn't matter how far away you've gone. He always wants you to come back into his arms. Maybe this morning you need to come back, and that, that shouldn't make you nervous, though, either, should it? shouldn't make you nervous. When you come home to the Heavenly Father, we're never forced or manipulated into anything. Let me make that clear to you. It's not a manipulation. You're not manipulated into anything. It's always our choice. The younger son in this parable came to the realization himself that he needed to come home. 
And the same is true actually for the older brother too, who I haven't talked much about this morning. The older son in the story is another sermon in of itself. It really is. But let me just say that the father knew that his oldest son was angry and bitter, that his reckless brother was met with kindness despite his behavior. But the father went out to meet him as well. We read that the father went out to meet the older son as well too. And he told him, hey, don't be upset. All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. My welcoming my home son back in no way diminishes, you know, my ability to love and care for you as well. And then he invites his oldest son back to join into the celebration. But, the, you know, what's interesting here is the father doesn't twist his arm either to join into the celebration, does he? No, it's the brother's choice. It's the brother's choice. The father doesn't try to manipulate him into that. It is the older brother's choice as well, too. And that's the end of the story. We know, you know, we're left hanging uh, it's unresolved. There's no nice, comfortable ending here. We're left with choices. And it's left that way because you write the ending. There's not a manipulation here whatsoever. Coming home is about a heavenly father who loves so much that he is anxiously waiting for you so that he can shower you with forgiveness and completely restore you to his family. And that is absolutely 100% better than anything that the world has to offer. Amen? I know a lot of you can attest to that. This is way better than anything that the world can offer you. And we can't squander our wealth, can we? Hallelujah. You know, I was just feeling, maybe if I get the worship team to come up and sing that last song again. How he loves us. I felt God's anointing on that song this morning. And uh, sometimes it's hard for some people to receive love. Maybe it's from your circumstances. Maybe it's from how you were brought up. Uh, You know, the idea of a loving father just doesn't make sense to some people. And I get that. It can be a a very touchy subject. But this is not something that he's going to try to manipulate you. He's not going to try to push you into something. He comes to you with open arms. And it's our choice to receive that love as well, too. And let me tell you something, that when you receive that love, it it changes you. It completely transforms you. Maybe you have never experienced prodigal love from anybody in your life before, but the love that the Father gives you is something that you cannot deny. Amen? How many people can agree to that, that the love that the Father shows is undeniable, it's life-changing, and it's something that everybody needs. It's something we need to let other people know of as well, too. Amen? So I just want to worship him this morning. Let's just praise him, and let's just receive. I think there are people here that do need to receive the love of the Father this morning. Because I know that sometimes I feel spiritually when we're singing a song, and we're seeing the words, oh, how he loves us. You, I can feel sometimes that there's a doubt in, in, in the spiritual realm, and, and I want to come against that now in the name of Jesus. There should be no doubt of the fact that he loves us, and he wants what's best for us because he's a good father. So I just ask you today, as you, as you worship him, let that love be received in your heart. Amen? Amen. Let's worship him.